obviously, that is uh, that the song "Don't Stop Believing." You might be thinking, "What in the world?" And it does. It ties in to what we're going to be talking about today. We just thought we'd take some some classic songs from uh, what I think are pretty, you know, normal, regular songs, but they they say that it's classic now, and just take a look at those songs from a biblical perspective. And uh, what we're doing today is we're just looking at at the command that that Jesus gives us in our scripture today of "Don't Stop Believing." Uh, there was a pastor that had saw, that saw a little girl outside of her Sunday school class who was holding a book, and he walked up to her and he said, he said, what book are you, are you holding there? She said, well, i got a story about Jonah and the whale. And he said, oh, that's, that's neat. And so he, he kind of decided he's going to play a little bit. He's going to be kind of an antagonist towards her. And he said, Let me, he said do you really believe that? He said, do you really believe that a, a whale could swallow a man? He'd live three days inside of him and come out alive. And the little girl looked at him and said, well, of course I do. He said, it's in the Bible, and we talked about it in Sunday school. And the pastor looked at her, and he thought, decided he'd press it a little bit more. And he said, well, uh, he said, uh, how can you prove that? And she said, well, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven, and I can ask Jonah about it. And the pastor looked at her and said, well, what if Jonah's not there? And then she kind of looked at her, and she said, well, then you can ask him. Now, uh, that's, you know, that's, I, like, I like little kids. You know, little kids are uh, they're smarter than we think they are, but kids... Kids have a willingness to trust. They have a real willingness to believe. And I think what happens to us as we get older is we struggle with belief. And we come to a point, even concerning matters of faith, where there is a time for many people where they do stop believing. And it's because we get, we get so jaded as we get older. And we have things that happen to us. And we have disappointments and failures in life. And we, we look at the world and we think, well, there's, there's no way that, that there is a God. There's no way that there is a God who intervenes in our world. Well, today in our passage of Scripture, we're going to see a group of people in the Bible who are on the verge of stopping believing. And Jesus gave them a very simple directive, a very simple command, and that was, don't stop believing. And he gives some reasons for it. And so if you have your Bible, you can look with me in Mark chapter 9. And we're going to look in verse number 14 in just a few moments. And as you, as you look in that scripture, or as you're moving towards that, uh, that direction, Jesus and his followers, uh, for some background information, they always had a difficult time with the religious leaders of the day. And they did because the religious leaders of the day saw Jesus' competition. They saw him as somebody who was trying to take away their power, who was trying to take away the attention off of them. But the fact was, Jesus came here in order to give life, in order to provide hope for people so that they can have a future. Now, the problem that we have and that they had and we still have is that this world is, in many ways, it is still a very mean and tough place. And many of you know this already. You've experienced the scars of life. And so when you see the things that have happened to you and you've seen the busted relationships that you've had and, and maybe the, the, the disappointments that people have, have given you because they haven't told you the truth, yeah, you look at the present reality and then you look at Scripture and you think, well, why, why should I believe? Well, today we're going to see Jesus sharing with us some reasons we should believe. And the first reason we should believe in Jesus is because unbelief has no power. I want you to understand, unbelief does not carry with it any power. 
And I want you to look in verse number 14 of our text. It says, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. And as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. And a man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I, I brought you my son who's possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him in the ground and he foams at the mouth. And he gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. As I said earlier, there was a, a man who brought his son to Jesus. He was overwhelmed. The boy was overwhelmed with evil in this world. They didn't really have any hope. You look at him, you see what was happening. It says that he was filled with the spirit, an evil spirit. An evil spirit, it would throw him to the ground. He would convulse on the ground. He'd have like seizures. And then he would foam at the mouth. And so I can't even imagine as a father when you see a child or somebody that you love who's in dire straits, and it, it just everything seems so helpless for them. And so the father did the only thing that he knew to do, and that was he brought his son to Jesus. He brought him to the disciples. And the reason why he did that is because at this point already, if you read through the New Testament, Jesus already has a reputation. Jesus has a reputation of a healer. He's a reputation of one who can restore lives. He's a, known as a great teacher, a man full of wisdom. If you read in just the few chapters before this right here, just to let you know what had happened, Jesus had already caused a blind man to see. Now, I know that we come into church, we say that, and we're like, oh, he caused a blind man to see. You know, do you realize how that is unbelievable? A man who could not see all of a sudden regained his sight. He caused a person who could not hear to be able to hear. He raised a girl who had died back to life again. And so this father already knew what Jesus had done. And so in his mind, he's thinking, my son, even though his, his situation is dire, there's still hope for his life. And so he brought his son to Jesus, brought him to the disciples. But when they got to the disciples, when he got to the disciples, they could not drive the demon out. I mean, he keeps having a disappointment. I mean, all these things before in the preceding chapters, people have been restored, and then it comes to his son, and his life doesn't get restored. And you have to look at that and think, what's, what's going on here? You know, why, why, why was his life not able to be restored? And it doesn't say in our text specifically what happened with the disciples. I think there's a few things that we can surmise here. Uh, one, what could have possibly happened is that the disciples were so used to Jesus performing miracles that when they brought this boy to him, the disciples could have said, we don't need to go see Jesus. We can take care of this ourselves." And they could have tried to handle this boy's situation in their own power. And there might be some of you in life right now, and you're trying to handle some of the struggles that you've got in your life, some of the challenges that you have in your life, you're trying to handle it yourself. But I want you to know that whenever you try to handle life in your own power, there is no power at all. It could be that the disciples were intimidated by their situation. I mean, here's the boys in, in seizures, going through convulsions. They bring him to the disciples and it says that a large crowd had gathered around the disciples along with the religious leaders. Like I said, the religious leaders weren't there cheering these guys on. They're there looking for them to mess up so that they can try to tell people these guys aren't what they say they are. 
And so the situation could have been very intimidating for the disciples. And so they began possibly to have doubts about what could happen. Now it doesn't tell us what was going on or necessarily why the disciples weren't able themselves to drive the demon out. But Jesus gives us a good picture of what's going on. In verse 20, here's what Jesus said. He said, O unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. And this is the key point in our whole passage of Scripture. He called them an unbelieving generation. When I read this for the first time, those words, sort of, they just jumped out at me and reminded me that unbelief carries with it no power. When there is unbelief, it's almost like there is an engine that's not receiving any gas. When there's unbelief, we're not tapping into the power that God wants us to experience that comes from him. I told you all this story a long time ago. It is about a, a farmer or a rancher in the 1930s. He owned a ton of land, but it was such, it was the Dust Bowl days. It was in Texas, and he was just, everything, all of his crops had been decimated, and he was living on government subsidies trying to support his family. But some size, seismographic people came in, or I don't even know what you call them, seismologists. It's probably not a word, but we'll act like it is. And so they came in, and they wanted, they wanted to, to look at his land because they, were, they said, we're wildcatters, we want to explore for oil. And uh, so he was like, they said, can we use your land? And, and they said, you know, of course, you'll, you'll receive the benefits of the oil if you have any. And he said, of course, we'll make some profit as well. And so he said, that's fine, I'm not making anything anyway. So they went out there. The very first well they dug, now this is a true story, First well they dug went down 1,100 feet. When they went 1,100 feet, they hit a gusher. It produced over 80,000 barrels of oil a day starting from day one. 30 years later, that same well was producing 125,000 barrels of oil a day. I wish it was still working. So it's absolutely unbelievable. Now, that Mr. Yates, what do you think happened to him? Do you think he was still living on government subsidies after that? Ain't no way. The guy became a millionaire overnight. Now, what's interesting about the story is the entire time his family had owned that land, and yet they had never tapped into the land. And because of it, there's no power. Now, can you imagine the frustration of, of Jesus at this point? Jesus calls him an unbelieving generation. He says, you're unbelieving. You're so afraid to believe in me, but if you tap into me, he said, there is power that comes through me. What does Jesus bring to the table? Ephesians 3.20 says this about him. It says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. Why do we want to believe in Jesus? Why should we not stop believing? Because un- for, for, for starters, unbelief has no power. Then another reason that we should believe in Jesus is because, as the converse is true, belief carries with it power. Belief carries power. In verse number 20 it says, So they brought him, the boy, and when the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion, and he fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, and it's often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him, But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, he said, everything is possible for him who believes. Now, what's going on in our text here? Well, 
the disciples had the boy come to him first, and the boy's he's he's rolling around on the ground, he's foaming at the mouth, and they can't get the this evil spirit out. Why did that happen? And I think one of the things that possibly could have happened is that the disciples allowed what they were seeing to dictate how they were going to respond. They allowed what they saw with their own eyes to dictate how they were going to respond. And as a pastor, I want you to know there's a lot of times in my life I've done the same thing. Now, this is not a great thing for me to to share with you all, but I'm going to share with you. There's times when I've talked to people. And they'll come and talk to me and they'll share with me some of the things that they're experiencing, some of the issues that they're dealing with in life, some of the, uh, maybe the marriage problems that they're having. And as they're sharing with me, there's been, there have been times when I've sat there, and I've not said this out loud, but in my mind I'm thinking, they don't stand a chance. And I listen to their problem and I think that they're in trouble. They have no hope. Now, as a pastor, that's not a great thing for me to be thinking. Because what I'm doing is I am divorcing the power of God from that situation as to what God can do in that situation. And I'm allowing what I see to dictate how I'm going to respond. Now, before you sit there and start saying, I can't believe he'd do that, you do the same thing. You know, so many of us do the same thing. We allow what we see to determine how we're going to respond. And I really believe that's what's going on in our text. The boy was out of control. And the disciples around him, they said, it's, it's not going to get any better. This situation is hopeless. And that's why I like verse 20, where Jesus comes onto the scene. And here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, bring the boy to me. Jesus didn't allow what he saw to determine how he was going to respond. Jesus said, bring the boy to me because he wanted the disciples to see, once again, firsthand what happens when Jesus touches somebody. Now, what happened when the boy came to Jesus? For those of you who have your Bible, if you can, if you can look in your scripture around verse, let's see, yeah, verse number 20. Yeah, verse 20. If you have your Bible, verse 20. When the boy came to Jesus, what, what, what happened to the boy? What did the boy do? Huh? He fell, yeah, he fell to the ground. He began to convulse. He foamed at the mouth. Now, I read that. I thought, isn't that strange? They finally get the boy to Jesus. What does he, what does he do? He has a fit again. And it, it, it reminded me that just because we might actually come to Jesus in the midst of trials and tribulations, it does not mean that immediately things will get better. It doesn't always mean that. Now, now why is that? Here's what I believe. You remember... The, Satan is the one who has controlled this boy's life. Y'all, I believe there is evil in this world. There is good and there is evil, and we have seen evil. And I believe that the devil is the creator of evil, and he's going to do whatever he can to hang on to us, to drag us down. And what's going on in the situation is that boy comes to Jesus. I believe that Satan is in his death throes in the life of that boy, trying to hang on to that boy as hard as he can to keep that boy from being touched by Jesus. Just because we come to Jesus does not mean immediately things will get better. I believe Satan's going to do whatever he can to move us to a state of unbelief. They might say, Well, do you know that firsthand? I know that firsthand. I believe that there is something called spiritual warfare. Satan is battling for our souls. 
I've experienced it in my life. I'll share with you. I've shared some of this before. But, you know, we, ten years ago, we're coming up on ten years, Village Church started. We came out here ten years ago, my wife and I did, with a, with a belief that God had called us to begin a new ministry here. We were excited about it. I always tell people we were young and dumb. And we got up, we moved out to Blythewood, we came out here. As soon as we got here, you know what happened? And I believe we were being obedient to the Lord. We got here, and things very quickly began to fall apart. Isn't that encouraging? I'm thinking, I'm being obedient. What's going on? We got here. Let me share with you a couple of things. And some of these are not that, they don't sound that like a big of a deal. But what happened? We moved into a house. And as a matter of fact, a guy in our church, was, who's now in our church, Brantley Hannah, uh, was renting the house. I didn't know Brantley. And so I went there, met Brantley and his wife. Brantley, raise your hand. <laughs> Brantley, right here. Brantley gets out of the house. We buy it. And it falls apart. Now, I think y'all don't ever call Brantley to fix anything for y'all. Because what happened to us, our well went dry within the first couple months that we were there. I didn't know anything about well, but you know what? It gives you drinking water. Okay, so we're not on city water. It goes dry. They, we've had a guy come out. He starts saying, I was like, if y'all could just drill down here and just get us a little bit of water. 700 feet later, they hit water. $7,000 later, I got water. Now, when that happened, I began to think, God, are you trying to make us go bankrupt? When we're being obedient, we came out here. Next thing that happened, within two months, we have a septic system. I don't know anything about that. I do now. It backed up, started backing up. It wasn't, the yard, it wasn't perking right. Y'all know all that stuff. Not to get into any details. But it began to backwash into our washing machine. It did four different times. I came home. I remember coming home. My wife was on her knees. Y'all, it was, and it's, I can laugh now. She's, Emily is in, uh, at her brother's church this morning, probably because I'm talking about this. I remember coming in from, the, from work. She's on her knees crying. And our whole fl- fr- uh, living room is flooded. And I walk in. I'm thinking, what have you been doing all day? No, I'm kidding. I, <laughs> I walked in. And, man, it was a nightmare. And I thought, God is trying to kill us. Now, we, we'd been obedient to the Lord, but things didn't get better because, because we were obedient. But you know what I learned through all of that? And the reason, why we, the reason why Emily didn't leave me and all that stuff during all that time is because we had an unshakable conviction God called us here. And we didn't know what else to do except for to believe in Jesus. Now, was it easy? No. Has it been worthwhile? Absolutely. Because here's what I've learned. This is what I've learned. I've discovered that God is worth believing in. That God is worth trusting in. He's worth believing in even when you don't see it. Because He does. Hebrews 11, 1 and 2 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. So why are we believing in Jesus? Well, because unbelief has no power. The converse is true. Belief does have power. That's why we want to believe in Jesus, because it has power. But then this is the last thing I want you to see. We want to believe in Jesus because Jesus responds to belief. One of the coolest things that you'll discover, Jesus responds to your belief in him. In verse number 23, Jesus said, if you can, remember the Father says, look, if you do anything, 
help us. Jesus says, if you can, everything is possible for him who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. That is like my life verse right there. I believe, Jesus. I don't believe, so help me. Help me overcome unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And the spirit shrieked and convulsed him violently and came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. Now the father's at his wit's end. Jesus, if you can do anything, ah, please do something. If you can. What does Jesus say? Jesus, it's funny, Jesus says, if I can. You know who I am? If I can. You know what Jesus had said earlier? Jesus said in Matthew 19, 26, that with God, all things are possible. Now, he changes it, changes it up here a little bit. He says, with God, all things are possible for him who, what? Believes. See how important belief is? God acts and moves when there is Belief Belief is a major factor in seeing the power of God. And when God sees belief, he responds to it. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith, without belief, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek after him. After this man said, I believe, things started happening. After the man said, I believe Jesus, Jesus restored the boy. Now, when the boy came to Jesus, it says that when the demon saw Jesus, he went to the ground, he began to shriek out, and he convulsed, which, is, which just simply shows me that Jesus has authority over all things. Authority over evil. Jesus has the power. It is crazy for us not to believe in Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. It's been given to me. Isn't that great? Jesus has the power to change lives. And you know what that tells us? We have nothing to fear. Regardless of what you and I face, we have a God who has all authority. You all remember an example of this in the New Testament? You remember the story when Jesus was on the boat in the Sea of Galilee with the disciples and a big storm came? And if you don't remember it, I'll just kind of refresh your memory. Big storm comes up on the Sea of Galilee, which happened quite a bit, and Jesus was asleep. And the disciples were going crazy. They're like, we're going to die out here. And I, I mean, I'd be one of the guys out there screaming. And they run, they wake up Jesus, and Jesus, we're going to die. And, and Jesus gets up, and it says Jesus came out, and he, he rebuked the wind and the waves. I mean, how odd is that? He rebukes them. He tells them to stop. You know what happens? It did. Can, can you imagine how freaky that would have been if you're on that boat and he says, wind, stop, and waves stop, and it stops. It was so amazing to the disciples. They said in Mark 4:41, they said, who is this? I mean, who is this guy? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, that's impressive. Now, we read these stories about Jesus like this. I mean, that's really cool. Wouldn't you like to know Jesus like that? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you like to see Jesus? When, the winds and the waves that are in your life, wouldn't you like to experience 
God telling those winds and waves in your life to stop, and they stopped. Wouldn't it be neat? Wouldn't it be awesome if God moved from just being a story you read about in this book to where he becomes real in your life? That'd be neat. There's a movie that came out a number of years ago, Jurassic Park. Y'all remember that? Uh, there was a, the, the main part of the story, one of the big parts of the story is the paleontologist, um, I couldn't remember his name, the first service, it's, it was a world-class paleontologist named Alan Grant who's, who devoted his life to the study of fossils, dinosaurs, looked at bones all the time, studied the history of these animals, and they put them together and make these big uh, dinosaur structures, skeletons. And then he goes to this little island and he sees a dinosaur for the first time, flesh and blood, and it blows him away. Because there's no comparison. No comparison to seeing the bones and a real dinosaur. A lot of us, we look at Scripture, guys, we're just looking for bones. We look at the history of the book, we read about Jesus, and we say, that's a neat story. But it doesn't get us here because it's a story of bones to us. We need flesh and blood. We need to experience the power of God moving in our lives. We need to see and know that God intervenes in our world today. Guys, God is not just an artifact for us. He's a God who desires for us to tap into his power that he might move from these pages into your heart so that, he, so that you know that he's real. Now, do you want that to happen? If you do, here's the key. Believe. Don't stop believing. You believe, and as you believe, what does God do? God responds to belief. The son in our text, he was about dead. When the father believed, he came to life. When the father believed, he was able to function and experience joy. You know, in, in so many ways, people have no, have no real life. We go through the motions of this world. And we get so disappointed with where we are in life. So what's needed? It's belief. Faith. Confident. The confidence that our God is real. And He is willing to reveal Himself to you as you believe. What I'd like for us to do is to bow our heads and to close our eyes as we close out our service.